I tell people, if you were gonna start a business today, if you were going to form a not-for-profit organization today, how would you do it? What would be your mode of delivery? How would you be marketing? How would you be spreading the word? How would you be doing fundraising? How would you have events? Start thinking if you were doing it today, never mind how we used to do it. Oh, I can't wait till we get back to the way we used to do it. Stop thinking like that. Think about what's the future, what's the way forward, and start planning for that. And while we're speaking about ADAPT during, during these times, we're running a series of free webinars to help nonprofits with some interesting content. We're covering everything from ethics to evaluating the board. Be sure to check out the show notes at amcmposolutions.com for more information. And in today's episode, we listen in on a conversation Tom Abbott, our managing director, had with Charlotte Kemp about how nonprofits can adapt during these turbulent times. Since the audio of Charlotte wasn't very good, I'm stepping in to ask the questions. Enjoy the episode and be sure to leave us a review on iTunes or on whatever platform you are listening on. First question, can you give us a bit of insight into how we can balance the difference between what paid staff do and what volunteer staff do and how we manage the process? Well, that's a great question and that's precisely what a good governance model should should answer. Um, So with the complementary model of board governance, we see the roles and responsibilities as staff being very different from the roles and responsibilities of the volunteer directors. So in most smaller organizations, and you're quite right, in most smaller organizations, um, you know, volunteer directors, they want to get involved. They want to be part of the association. So they, they volunteer to serve on the board. What ends up happening is a lot of those boards are what are known as working boards. So by working boards, the, the president, the vice president or chair, vice chair, however you call them, Uh, depending on the organization, Uh, they roll up their sleeves and they're doing all the work. The treasurer is actually preparing the financial statements and keeping track of the books. Uh, The secretary is the one who's taking the minutes at meetings. So everybody is working very hard on the operations, the actual running of the not-for-profit organization, which is all well and good if you're a small society and there's not a whole lot to do and maybe not a whole lot of members. But as that organization evolves and grows and the scope of work broadens, uh, now it's time to hire paid staff. So, you know, you would usually start by hiring your first staff person, which might be an office manager, an admin person, either part-time or full-time, all the way up to a full-fledged executive director or registrar or CEO or general manager, whatever you call them. But, you know, best practices in North America would be Um, either a CEO, so that it's consistent with the corporate world, because what they do is exactly the same, so don't get me started on that, that's a whole other topic. Um, But they're either referred to rightly as CEO, or most commonly, executive director. So then the board is responsible for establishing um, governance policies, and strategic planning, and then you leave the operational administrative policies to the executive director, otherwise known as the chief staff officer, who handles that. Handles recruitment, hiring and firing, um, employee relations, right? The board technically only has one employee, and that would be the ED CEO. So that's kind of where the division of duties comes in. There's a lot of uncertainty going on right now. What do you think nonprofits can do to the situation? 
Yeah, so just real quick, I mean, it, it can be daunting for a volunteer to serve on, on a board when they're suddenly introduced to a whole bunch of things that they weren't you know, familiar with before. Or they might say, hey, this isn't what I signed up for. I mean, I wanted to volunteer. I didn't know I'd have to be wearing these, these different hats. But that's why having board orientation is so critical. So you've got to have a great recruitment process, an onboarding process. You've got to have the ED and or the chair sit down with that new director and go through an orientation. Here's the board manual. Here's the staff manual so that you can see how do we do things at the board level? How do we do things within the NPO in the office? So there's a proper orientation process that needs to happen and, and not enough boards actually do that. So that needs to happen. Uh, but as far as dealing with emergencies like, like COVID, for example, or, or any other crisis, you know, I think you know, NPOs, and I've seen some studies, I think by and large, most NPOs are, are handling it fairly well. What does that look like? Um, they, they have prudent reserves. They do have some money in the bank. They're able to handle their operating expenses you know, for, the, for the next few months. So I think from a cash flow perspective, most organizations that I've spoken to are fine, for lack of a better term. They're, they're, they're fine. They're not at risk of closing their doors due to, to, to funding because they probably got their funding through the government or some donors or hopefully they had a, a, an annual conference or fundraisers where they, they already have money in the bank. So kind of solvency is, is, or liquidity is not a big issue for most of them. The challenge for NPOs, I think, is in the service delivery, it's in the fulfillment, it's in the serving their community. It's the, hey, we're a food bank, but now you know either donations are down or uh, with, with physical distancing measures, how do we do this? How do we actually staff the office? How do we actually, I mean, are we an essential service or not? So I think operational issues are probably one of the biggest challenges that, that not-for-profits are facing right now. For some people, because of the way they work, they cannot do their work online and they have to rely on other income sources or change their business models. In terms of strategy, what can we learn from this? Of, of course, you know, it, it, this, this current situation going virtual has impacted different organizations in different ways. So of course, you know, you and I are both members of professional speaking associations. So. You know, we would hope that we would be the early adopters, right? That, that we would be the first, you know, members to be able to, and organizations to transition to virtual only for delivery of, of services to members. So that, that makes sense. Um, in, our, in our business in Canada, um, working with the not-for-profit community, we're working with a lot of you know, family services societies. We're working with a lot of you know, senior services societies. So those boards are comprised of individuals that are you know, perhaps less tech savvy. And, and the communities that they serve are not as tech savvy. So I think that's where the challenges come for some of those organizations where the, the people that they serve, their members or their stakeholders, um, are, are just less, less tech-savvy. So the, the, the operations, the fulfillment, the delivery of their service is, is tougher for, for some of those associations, for sure. Do you have any words of encouragement for someone who is struggling right now and what they can do to succeed? You know, one message I've been sharing in both our, you know, uh, 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 not-for-profit advisory consulting business, but also our sales training business, is letting people know you know, stop trying to, you know, survive the next five months. 
Stop trying to find little band-aid solutions of how do I do this, how do I do that, just to kind of get through the next five months. It's not about surviving this short-term period. It's really about how do you succeed in growing your business or growing your not-for-profit organization for the next five or 10 years. I don't really foresee the world going back to exactly the way it was before. I just don't see that at all. I think organizations have been forced, have been pulled, kicking and screaming into a more digital era. And now that they've been forced to do it, they are now starting to see a lot of the benefits of it. And I think what's going to happen is when things do open up more and people are able to travel, uh, they're still going to be, they're now going to be making um, a conscious decision. Do I really want to travel right now? Or do I need to go you know, overseas to meet with this person? Do we really need to have a live in-person event? Or could we achieve the same objectives uh, virtually? Now, I'm not saying that virtual will completely replace live in-person, um, at least not for the near future. Who knows about the, the distant future? Because we always are gonna have this need for, for physical connection and, and touch and to be there and wanna hug people. So, you know, I'm not saying it's gonna be replaced, but absolutely, I, I know that my decisions to travel, um, I'm gonna reconsider a lot of opportunities and go, you know what, why don't we just do this virtually? Um, because it's just gonna make sense in terms of time, travel, money, costs for events and hotels and uh, delegates and never mind the, the, the health protocols that we will still now have to have in place even if we're allowed to have the events. So I tell people, if you were gonna start a business today, if you were going to form a not-for-profit organization today, how would you do it? What would be your mode of delivery? How would you be marketing? How would you be spreading the word? How would you be doing fundraising? How would you have events? Start thinking if you were doing it today. Never mind how we used to do it. Oh, I can't wait till we get back to the way we used to do it. Stop thinking like that. Think about what's the future, what's the way forward, and start planning for that. Absolutely. And I think they can come together to support each other. This is the, there's an opportunity here for the right entrepreneurs, for the right business people, for the right volunteer board members, for the right EDs, um, running organizations. You know, the opportunity is one, resilience, like you say, Charlotte, I love that. And the other is um, adaptability. That, that's going to be the number one resource that I think people are going to have to tap into. You know, when people cite Charles Darwin, they often uh, talk about survival of the fittest. And it's not quite that. It's the species that survive are, are the ones who are most adaptable to their changing environment. Um, that's how evolution works. If you're able to adapt to your changing environment, you will evolve, you will succeed, you will still be alive, others will not. So I think our, our ability to turn on a dime and to be flexible, adaptable, and to think about how do I roll with this and how do I actually make this situation help us get better, um, those people are gonna win. You know, when we talk about looking back and not be, be nostalgic, We've been doing webinars at our sales training company since 2010. So for a decade, I've been doing this. So when, and, and we've been trying to bring customers kicking and screaming to this. 
and we launched an e-learning platform called Soco Academy for salespeople. We've got NPO Academy for not-for-profits. So you can just go on like npoacademy.com if you want to learn how to govern your association better. Well, we've launched these programs years ago online because we saw that that was the future and you want to be ready. A lot of people now are scrambling in 2020. I even wrote a book in 2015 called Social Selling. So I wrote the book Social Selling, How to Prospect, Position, and Present Using Social Media. That was in 2015. Fast forward five years, that's all you can do now. That's the only way that you can sell right now. So I think you know, for people who are able to think about, yeah, how, how do I adapt and how do I roll with this? They're gonna win. Probably everyone listening to this podcast right now, I mean, in January, we had our strategic planning meeting to, to chart our course. And we were like, oh my gosh, 2020 is gonna be an awesome year. We are gonna crush it this year. We had ambitious targets and a plan to reach those targets and we felt confident. Look, who did their SWOT analysis and came up with coronavirus in, in the threat part? Nobody, okay, nobody. So who picked global pandemic? Who picked, picked global economic crisis as one of the threats in their SWOT analysis? I don't think anybody did. So all of our plans have been derailed and we've had to adapt and, and to, to change our plan and change the execution, how we're actually gonna do that. And I think organizations that, that do that are, are gonna come out of this in, in better shape possibly than going into that. That's very inspiring. There are lots of organizations struggling right now. One last thing that I just want to add, if I can, because I know we're talking about the future of associations. So I think this message that I want to you know, leave um, you know, um, association executives and, and, and board members with is one word, and it's relevance. So in order for not-for-profit organizations to exist in the future, if you think COVID-19 is a crisis, a lot of organizations have been struggling uh, with uh, member recruitment and retention for years, okay? What ends up happening is you have global crises that then accelerate their demise. So when you see businesses, you know, going out of business, they're going bankrupt, they're laying people off, uh, they have to close their doors, they need bailouts from governments. That, to me, is not because of, that's because of two months of lost revenue? What kind of operation are you running that you're bankrupt after two months of, of you know, even zero revenue. Look, I'm not a multi-billionaire, but I run two businesses. Uh, I employ about 10 people in, in a number of different countries. We haven't had to lay anybody off, reduce anybody's hours, or cut anybody's pay. Now, we have had, I think February may have been a zero revenue month, uh, but uh, March was better, and then April was pre-COVID, May was even better than that, and we're on target now for June to have a really great June. But that's our situation. But we were able to get through two months of you know little to no revenue because we had prudent reserves from months before. We just know how to run a business responsibly, so we weren't put in uh, a very difficult cash situation, which I'm seeing a lot of people are in that position right now. So. You know, without sounding too harsh on people, it's like get your affairs in order and let's not use external economic uh, trigger events as an excuse for why we're failing. 
you may have been failing before. Restaurants, for example, have such narrow margins, even at full capacity, they're barely you know, struggling to get by. So of course they're hard hit by this. So maybe it's a bad business model. Maybe they need to get better and, and, and reinvent themselves is, is all I'm gonna say. So as it relates to not-for-profit organizations, even pre-COVID, every single year when, when, when that organization sends out their renewal notice to their members, you think you're the only association that your members are a part of? I'm a member of a number of different NPOs. So when those invoices come, those renewal notices come, I'm gonna ask myself, what have you done for me lately? What's the value of be me being a member? And do you get my hundreds of dollars just because? Do you know how many organizations are like, hey, come on, man, you j just renew, just, just because. You know? No, not just because. You tell me why I should renew my membership dues. What's this organization gonna do for me? So if it's a charity, a registered charity, th they're likely gonna do better because they're gonna get funding from government, they're gonna get people who are going to make char charitable contributions. I think they're going to be fine. If it's a regulatory body as an association, they will also do fine because if you want to be an accountant, if you want to be a, a, a realtor or a real estate broker, you need to get accreditation and you have to be registered with some of these bodies. So they're gonna be fine. If yours is a voluntary membership organization that's you know, um, you know, a, a, a social uh, industry professional but not regulated, like speakers associations, like sport, right? They don't have to join. So you really need to think about if you're going to survive, what's going to be that thread that brings everybody together where they feel like they, that they need to be a member, that, your, that membership in your organization is indispensable and irreplaceable, and more organizations finally need to start looking at non-dues revenue as their primary source of revenue to survive because if they're just looking at dues revenue as their primary source of income, they're in big trouble. So they need to look at non-dues revenue.